This month, Tales of the Unexpected. Yes, house bringing surprises can help more of your learning sink in. Now, I was reading a crime novel on holiday last week and I was stunned by a clever plot twist that I really didn't see coming. All my preconceptions about what might happen next were right out of the window. Surprise is a powerful emotion. It stops you in your tracks and gets you thinking. And training, learning and development really ought to do that more often too. So this month we're all about how to fire up those synapses by ditching the predictable and the formulaic. Get ready to be surprised by three guests full of ideas on harnessing the power of the unexpected. It's time to ambush your people with memorable training that can help knowledge to stick and creativity to flourish. With us, Rita Isaac, an author and artist with an academic background in painting and art history, but also with a decade of customer service and visitor experience in the commercial and museum world. And she's now CIPD's Learning and Development Coordinator. Hello. Hi. You could have done us a picture, but a bit wasted on a podcast, maybe. <laughs> Next, we've a learning technologies specialist who helps teams nail their design creativity and build simulations using, wait for it, Lego bricks. He's Andy Hine. Hi, Nigel. Can you really build an MRI scanner out of Lego? Most definitely. <laughs> and it's the return of CIPD learning content manager and author, David Hayden. Hi, David. Hi, Nigel. Hi, everyone. For whom every day is a learning day. I nick that phrase from you, David. It certainly is. It certainly is. <laughs> so set the scene, David, if you would. I mean, learning's evolved rapidly, hasn't it, especially through the pandemic. But it is often formulaic and predictable. And I know that you say part of the answer is you've just got to get people doing things within minutes. You've got to spring surprises. Yeah. So um, if you think about a traditional training approach, you know, kind of whether it be online or whether it be face to face, it kind of starts with the same approach, you know, kind of, hello, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do. Tell us your role. Maybe if you're lucky, you get to say, tell us what you're expecting from this course. Or if you're doing something online, it's just so anonymous. Um, and it, it, it's a wave of predictability when when we go on any kind of learning intervention, we know what the setup's going to be. So if we can do something right from the off, that's a little bit different. Whether we're opening a webinar with, with say, people saying, what colour socks have you got on? To opening a, a face-to-face event where we're getting people up drawing things, then that stimulates that bit of surprise. Ooh, this is different. And you know, maybe we'll talk about a little bit later about what's going on in the brain when that happens. Mm, absolutely. I mean, Rita, it is sad, isn't it, that in many organisations, the chance to learn something new or take part in a training course is met with such a groan. I mean, why do you think that the unexpected, you know, disarming people, as we've been hearing from David, is the way forward? I think that um, we do it on a daily basis. We might just not realise it. And I think that we need to harness it further. We need to weaponize the element of surprise almost. Although I, I do not have, I don't think I share the same grim vision of uh, webinars and online sessions. For example, we just had two uh, suppliers delivering very engaging sessions during Learning at Work Week. One of them surprised everyone by started just saying, I have no presentations, no slides, here is me. And it was one of the most engaging sessions we've had in a long time. We've had people going out of our, their way, send emails, messages, everything. Um, and another one that his presentation was mainly photos. 
of him growing up and linking that to allyship and inclusion and diversity training. So I think that there are people already doing it. I think that we can do it better. Um, I agree that the element of surprise is really important because we know that uh, it involves some emotional connection. And if we are emotionally engaged, uh, we know that that is powerful in terms of retaining memories, attention, focus, all of that. So I think that we can definitely do it better. I think we can plan spontaneity. I think we can definitely design for surprise. I mean, it sounds to me, Andy, as if this could be a lot to do with the trainer, if some people can actually produce surprise and the unexpected uh, without, you know, doing anything fancy. Um, that's fine. But maybe some people don't have the personality to pull it off. I think surprise is actually um, it's surprising for the recipients, but not often surprising for the person who's delivering the surprise. So I don't think that you have to be. It's not something you're born that you have to be born with, but you can plan a surprise into your uh, into your um, workshop. You know, going back to the question that you asked Rita, you know, I often hear it said that learning happens outside your comfort zone, and I do think that when we go in and we say, right, we're going to teach you something, you're going to have to learn something today, we are asking people to be uncomfortable because that's where learning happens. If you were comfortable all your all your life, then you you probably wouldn't. You know, you probably wouldn't learn a lot, I feel. Has it, has it got to be fun, Andy? Because I know you said to me when we were chatting before that some people can't make things fun. That's a great question. I don't think it necessarily has to be fun, but I do think that with the, the, the topic that you've uh, mentioned today, if we're centering it on surprise, we talk about the element of surprise, and, and I think that the element of surprise is only an element. It's one small part that makes up good training. We need to take that element of surprise and say... Now that I've surprised you, I've got some real substance to back this up. Mm. Whether that be fun or not, well, actually, I feel that fun comes Mm. from having expanded your brain. When you've learned something, you get that sense of reward. And I don't necessarily feel it has to be fun, per se, but learning has to be rewarding in some way. And often, I think that, that because it's often so predictable, we can easily switch off and say, I know what to expect, so I won't be uncomfortable, Mm. so I'm going to switch off. And so a little element of surprise can throw that whole circuit out of whack and get people to to take things in. Do we actually know, David, whether organisations often get as far as evaluating, you know, whether it is the lack of creativity, surprise, the unexpected in the delivery that's to blame for disappointing learning outcomes? Yeah, so we we, we know from from our research, we've got a piece of research coming out in, in in a few weeks' time from the CIPD about... The, the, the challenge of evaluating and measuring impact that, that a lot of organizations have. You know, it, it is that, are we linking the right things in the first place before we even create a learning program to be able to measure them afterwards? So that, that there's a whole piece of work to, to do around that. But I just want to come back to the, to the, to, to the question that you, you asked Andy about, about fun. And absolutely, there, there, are, some, there are some programs where you can't necessarily start with, hey, we're going to have fun on this course today um, because of the, 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 the topic. But you can, as Andy said, create an environment where people are engaged and people are drawn in. And when they're at the end of it, they say, 
do you know what? That was a difficult subject, but I had a good time because of A, B and C. That's not the same as having fun, but they had a good time and absolutely out of the comfort zone and learned something. And before we leave you here, David, um, what about the learning theory? I mean, without going too much into the deep sort of psychology mm. of it all, uh, why does surprise kind of work? On, a, on a, a, a very basic level, when we are out of a comfort zone, when we do something different, our brains are heightened to, to protect us. So it, it all goes back to that ancient part of the brain and the fight, flight, freeze and form element. Um, and all our senses are heightened when something different happens. So that's when we're at our most uh, attuned and, 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 and looking out for looking out for, for, for what's happening all around us. So yeah, it absolutely ties into that from a from a, a, a neuroscience point of view and links in with other elements of, of, of learning theory that link to the humanistic approach to, 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 to learning, relating to people on a human level, looking for allies within, within, within the learning environment, that kind of thing. So yeah, there's, there's a few things that stem from that. So, Rita, we've shocked people a bit at the beginning. We've got them out of the comfort zone. Uh, where do you take it with people next? What, what has the training got to do if you're going to take advantage of this initial kind of flurry of interest? Um, I think that when planning any learning intervention or when developing, uh, we need to factor those moments in. So create times in the same way that we would want uh, diversity of media you want to have some videos you want to have activities breakout rooms whatever it is in the same way we can plan for that surprise or uh, or fun or shock and that can be either with the content uh, or the way you're delivering it or obviously um, you can add both when i say this i mean content things like examples facts shocking statistics any grim facts that are connected people will retain those and you will basically whip them in um, into the conversation. And in terms of the how and how you can create those points, basically using things that we already know about, but trying to look at it from a different perspective. So things like gamification, challenges, hands-on experiences, yes, action learning, but make it clear what's in it for them. Get them to bring real-life examples. Obviously, if it's uh, in-house training or learning that you are developing, do your research, make sure that you understand how people can live with a toolkit, give them something to action, um, because that's also going to retain that attention and that element of surprise throughout. Um, they might be even surprised by how useful it is or how engaging it is. Um, storytelling, such a powerful thing. And at the moment, it's basically a buzzword. Everyone is talking about this. But once again, why do we do it? Why is it so important? How can we make it better? You know, instead of doing it yourself, you might want to get people from the organization to tell the stories. I was using this example the other day. Some companies are using uh, sitcoms to deliver their compliance training because it taps into the whole binging series and getting into a storytelling mode almost. When you say sitcoms, you mean that they're getting people to act them out or they're watching sitcoms and then analysing them in some way? They're getting people to act out scripts of compliance, so GDPR, cybersecurity, things like that. Uh, I do appreciate that not everyone has a budget to go out and hire actors. Uh, my point is not that. My point is maybe instead of just having a, a dry presentation or a script, you can have your data governance team recording nice videos with interesting facts. Maybe you can even get some of them role playing uh, or, you know, 
IT role-playing cybersecurity situations. So there is this element of storytelling that you can tap into by engaging the learners themselves in a way and the people that they know to explore that emotional connection and further engage them into surprise. Well, some people may have seen there's a recent example of this, isn't there? Um, this reminds me, the Meta company, as uh, their legal department has created a Netflix-style training series with recurring characters you know, involving shadowy hackers and gaming convention, essentially to get compliance staff to learn how to perform tasks better so they kind of stop the action and then uh, sort of talk about what they might do. Um, I can imagine, though, this role-playing stuff does... Uh, it's not for everybody, is it? Some people find role-playing very, very difficult. Let's get back to that in a minute, because I want, I want to bring Andy in to just sort of think about doing it a different way. So you go into the training room, and there is a large pile of plastic Lego bricks. So kind of broadly, how do you find this works in training? Uh, in other words, it's, it's people are learning more than just how to make the model itself. Yes, I, I find it's really interesting what the reaction that adults have to uh, walking in to see a pile of Lego bricks on a table. Um, I, I believe it, it raises their inquisitiveness. OK, what's going to happen here? How am I going to make sure I don't make a fool of myself? And so when you go into a new situation like this with a table full of, uh, of Lego bricks, you need to make sure that all of the participants in the room feel safe. They're, they're ready to, to use this heightened inquisitiveness, this heightened alertness to actually go and, you know, benefit their learning. Because, of course, because some people are dexterous, some people aren't, some people can build brilliant things with their kids, with Lego, others, um, you know, you just build the same house or swimming pool or something every time. So, I mean, there is a, quite a wide vari variation, but I was amazed to see that you could even get people to tackle how they would deal with an HR issue using the Lego. A few years ago, I developed um, what I fondly remember and call the, uh, the Lego HR game. And uh, with the Lego HR game, we built a um, model of a startup. And the, the, the startup was a, a little hat factory. And the idea was that uh, with a limited amount of, uh, of, um, of money every year, so in, in every round, you would have about £10,000 to spend. Um, and um, you had to decide on certain things that you could buy. So it would be uh, different policies or procedures that you might want to, to put in place in your, uh, in your new startup business. Obviously, because we put in the uh, sort of budgetary constraints, you are only allowed to buy a certain number of items. Buying those uh, those things, let's say you bought um, diversity and inclusion training, for example, but you didn't buy health and safety, then in the first round, a member of staff might chop their finger off, for example, and you'd have all the attendant consequences. So when the, uh, the, the participants would come into the room and see a load of Lego on the table and it was built like a, a factory with uh, with little minifigs and, uh, and conveyor belts and stuff, yeah, the first thing they thought was, what on earth is going on here? And the next was, all right, how do I win this? So kind of taking it on from this, David, uh, what could you say about how you ensure that the game doesn't become the thing, that everything you're doing arcs back to what you're trying to achieve with your learning and development? Yeah, and, and the key, the key what Andy said there was, was around well-planned activities, so, so not just something thrown in. So the well-planned element, includes a number of a number of things so the well planned is is there a link to people's reality within within the game in in, in this case the lego building is there a 
good level of debrief around making those connect if not people can't immediately see those connections is there a good debrief from the activity to people's reality and then is there a, a call for arms around what are people going to do as a result of of, of of that activity so that honing in on that well-planned one of the common phrases in learning and development is steal with pride and and i i would change that to to steal with purpose so we may see an activity happening in someone else's domain um, but we can't always lift and shift that and put it in our in our domain because our context is slightly different and that's one of the reasons why a number of people have a, a, a reaction to things like icebreakers, because the icebreaker at the start of a learning session may have nothing to do with mm. the content and people's reality. It's just something that the, 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 the trainers seen work somewhere else and thought, oh, that's a good game. I'll, I'll steal that and use it. So it's, it's steal with purpose and, and, and context. And Rita, we mentioned the role-playing and people's reaction to that. The slightly simpler one that you touched on before is storytelling. Can you just sort of talk a little bit more about uh, how you get people to open up in that kind of way? Of course. Um, can I just say, in regards to the role-play, it doesn't always have to be the traditional cringe-feeling role-play. As David just said, if you do it with purpose, you will pluck real life activities and you will get uh, people almost like a learning community at actual action learning. You will get them to work out through simulations, basically activities that will allow them to experiment, make decisions and even assess possible consequences of their actions in a safe, controlled environment. So this is role playing in a way. Okay. Um, in regards to storytelling, I think that... There is an element of it that if you are asking people, attendees, to share their stories uh, within the session, that there has to be embracing that vulnerability and there has to be a psychological safety that is considered also while planning. So if I'm doing this in person, where is it going to be? How can we guarantee that this is, is felt? Who is attending? Is it everyone from the same team? Do we have people from different teams? What kind of training is this? All of this comes into play when planning. Uh, if we are doing it in an online environment, things like uh, ensuring that you don't record it, there are no transcripts, you can take outcomes from the sessions, but you do try and, and, sim and create that sense of comfort. But a good part of storytelling does come from discomfort. I think it's just a matter of for the facilitator. And I think that this is also the key here. We're thinking of how to include surprising training but actually learning has evolved from training we are not trainers we are learning facilitators so we moved away from that so we just need to create an environment and plan an environment where people can learn from each other as well and surprise each other and i think that for that we can make ourselves vulnerable first by sharing experiences uh, making ourselves and our experiences relatable to showing that we're not just talking from a you know a completely unfamiliar mm. place. Um, there is some power to that. What do you think about that, Andy? I know you wanted to come in earlier on something David said struck a chord with you. Yeah, actually, uh, both your speakers have uh, have struck a chord with me there. So we have, we uh, Rita talked about psychological safety, and David talked about purpose. And for me, I've seen so many really poor surprises where just in the middle of a uh, you know a a, a training session you'll get a surprise you'll get to the end and you go oh that was a bit weird that was a bit icky and I don't really understand what that was for so if a surprise is delivered and there's some purpose 
the key here is that reflection piece. I think what happens is when you've, when you've got a, a, a session that you think is quite predictable, suddenly you've got this surprise. You're now in the hands of your trainer because your trainer's thrown in this thing that's a bit uncomfortable. So in my case, it'll be Lego. I've thrown in Lego. I've said, right, we're going to build with this. Now for the next half an hour, I'm going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, but the purpose of making you uncomfortable is to get you to learn something. And in all, and you know, by the end of it, you'll pop out the other side. And you know, during that time, you will be psychologically safe. I'll make sure you have all the skills you need to build with the Lego. So, you know, you don't have to build a Bugatti or, you know, the most amazing Lego piece because the purpose mm. of our building is to learn something. So whatever you build is acceptable within the parameters of this room. Then when we get to the end of the, uh, the session, when we reflect on that and we we'll say, look at how we've connected the Lego model that you've built to the purpose that you came in here for, there is an overwhelming sense of relief. And of course that works because clearly when it comes to the Lego, you're really good at doing that. But David Hayden... Not all training facilitators have this creative streak. Rita has it too with her art and with other things that she does. So how do you make all the magic happen if, you know, you're much more comfortable just with your old interactive training videos and your lecture notes? Yeah, so uh, there is an opportunity for a number of us in, in the profession to to really kind of role model how we've developed in that space. So to shout out about it, and, and, and there are people regularly online, on LinkedIn, on Twitter and, and other platforms, talk about their own journey for, for learning to be a better facilitator. And it, it, it may be around people recognising themselves that they're going through the same kind of routine, you know, kind of opening a PowerPoint and, and typing in some slides without necessarily making connections around, around the topic. So I'd, I'd encourage people to take a step back. If they're in a design phase, we, we, we talked on a previous podcast around design and taking that purposeful pause to think around what it is they're designing and what links they can make. But also, in, if, if we think about not just in the delivery element, but in making links with evaluation and the learning needs analysis in the first place, where can we maximize that that element of, of, of surprise as, as we go through the, the whole training cycle. In regards to what David was saying, um, obviously, if you are in stages of planning, yes, plan, prepare, try to, you know, uh, gather as many tools as you can to have those elements of surprise throughout the training. But also, I would say leverage who you who you have, not just what you have. So guest speakers, guest experts, not everyone charges to come and speak and share their expertise. And even if you can't don't don't have the budget or you don't have anyone that is relevant to the matter, once again, talk to people across departments. Get your in-house experts to come in and give a little bit of a, a storytelling moment. So that's one way of overcoming that um, facilitation challenge if, if you don't feel so confident about it or so creative about it. In terms of overall challenges, I think that what a big one for this is still the evaluation point. We all know how important informal learning is, and I think that the element that surprise comes with that as well, the, the natural, the organic, spontaneous. But we also know how difficult informal learning is to measure. And I think that that 
it's almost, we need to surprise ourselves almost in that sense. We need to look at outside of the box as well to see how can we actually measure those things or make the intangible more tangible. Are we talking to all of the stakeholders in the business that can help measure behavior impact? Can data analysis or data governance team actually give us some ideas on how to collect data from existing points? Can we use AI to measure satisfaction and change in sentiment and satisfaction at work after learning interventions? So can we get creative? Can we surprise ourselves with plan? In this evaluation, needs to be planning needs to be planned as well. As David was saying, it has to be um, set and contracted from the beginning. And I think that that's something that we need to be better at as well. I like that. So I, I say a lot around use what you've got, but you saying there use who you've got as well is 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 a good addition. So that's my learning bit for today. Thank you. <laughs> what I was going to reflect on there actually is you've got two people who on the surface of it look really, really creative, you know, a Lego person, an artist. You know, if you're looking at the, the, the sort of the sleeve notes of this particular episode, you're going to say, I couldn't do that. Couldn't be creative. Couldn't surprise people. But I actually think that surprise doesn't come in your personality. I have a load of students I see every week who I come in and they say, what have you got for us this week? They know I've got a Lego box because they come to Lego class, right? So if I don't have a surprise for them, then I'm, I've got it coming, right? But what actually this whole thing is about for me is that a surprise is about knowing your audience. If you don't know your audience, you ain't gonna be able to surprise them. And then the end result, of a surprise is either delight or disgust. You either say, yeah, that was an amazing thing that you did. We made a, you know, we redesigned our entire business process. Or you get to the end and go, why did you do that to me? You made me feel really uncomfortable. And then you came away delivering nothing. And so that's kind of key is that I think knowing your audience is the difference between surprising them and delighting them or surprising them and disgusting them. So, Rita, what is really all this about in using these surprises? What are we trying to create and uh, achieve here? Um, I think that, as, as David mentioned before, it's tapping into that natural um, mechanism of retaining more information and engaging with the information um, that comes with the element of surprise and surprise, shock, any, any of that really, but also, and I think that this is the part of connection, that we make emotional connections with facts and with information, but also with people. So for me, using that and using those connections between people and what they know and what they can share is a way to ensure that they also have an opportunity to surprise others. And sometimes we see that happening in a session. We see how much uh, someone shares, and, and I'm thinking of virtual learning, for example, in online sessions that we have. Someone shares something on the chat while we are delivering content. And all of a sudden you have 10, 15, 20 people adding to it and sharing links and plugging more information. And that there in itself, it's surprising for the facilitator, for the attendees, but also that is learning in action. That is mm. happening. And that comes from connections, connecting points, connecting the dots, connecting solutions, connecting people. It all comes from that. Well, that's a kind of positive spin on online and remote learning, which we might have tended to think is a kind of a bit of a, a second-class option. Uh, David, I know you're obviously very keen on getting people together in a room, but you have to acknowledge that, uh, as Rita says, uh, it can work very well online. Absolutely can work. And and yes, and, and whilst I, I can love all the things you can do 
in a room with, with, with people and make use of that space. Absolutely can make use of the space online. Even if you've only got the chat facility enabled, you can do some amazing things in, in, in that and, and getting people firstly surprised and then engage with, with, with the reason for that surprise and, and, and the outcomes for it. So no, absolutely use the tools you've got, use what you've got. And as, as Rita said, you know, use who you've got. Well, I think you've all made the case very well for learning professionals to be more open-minded and creative, to devise programmes that have this one particular thing in common, that they incorporate an element of surprise. And I think we've learned it's all about disarming people, instilling a sense of wonder and a spirit of inquiry. And as David said at the beginning, it needs to be right from the get-go when you work with people. Um, now, I should say there's a learning methods fact sheet and some other resources on the CIPD website to get you started on some of this. But we'd like to thank Andy Hang of Beyond Blocks, Rita Isaac and David Hayden from CIPD. Until next time, from me, Nigel Cassidy, and all of us here, it's goodbye.